Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. This is the Plan Y podcast. My name is Hannah, and my name is Taryn. And Taryn, who is joining us for today's episode? Well, we have a special guest today. We've all heard that it's a small world after all, and our next guest really proves it. Because after meeting originally at university, we ended up meeting again completely by random whilst we were out travelling. This man has once been described as having the most calming voice on the internet. A man who has more hair on his head than a Highland cow. A man who has been taking risks, taking steps, and changing lives. A man who is a nomad, a teacher, and a learner, and a man with a very, very interesting story. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show my good friend Pedro. Hello there. Thank Woo. you for having me today. You're very welcome. <laughs> welcome to the show. <laughs> so, Pedro, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, how you got into travelling? Well, uh, I guess my travelling stories start when I was a bit younger, because、uh, I, as some of you know, I was born in Portugal. And I grew up there until I was fifteen. And growing up, I didn't really travel with my parents that much because we had we were lucky enough to have a small holiday house in the south of Portugal. So we went there for all of our holidays, mostly like summer holidays and stuff. But what we did is hop over the border and go to Spain quite often, kind of go on day trips and so on.、Uh, so that kind of began my interest when I was quite young of kind of wanting to see new places and so so on. And then、uh, when I Turned fifteen, my parents decided to move to the great country that is England, as you can probably tell from the way I speak.、Ooh. And <laughs> <laughs> because my father is terrified of flying, we couldn't just take a plane like normal people. We drove here <laughs> in a thirty-four、no. hour journey in a car with all of our stuff, all through, like from Portugal all the way north into Spain, across the whole of Spain. And then across the whole of France, across the Channel, wow! And then to London. So it was quite a journey—a journey that I have repeated many, many times throughout my life. So I have basically <laughs> seen the entirety of France, the entirety of Spain during my twenty-eight years of life,、uh, unfortunately. But <laughs> so that's really where my interest with in seeing new places started. But I guess my more conventional traveling. Uh, experience started at university.、Uh, while I was studying, my course did yearly travels for academic enrichment. <laughs>、uh, for the academic enrich- enrichment,、uh, which means for a drink. And,、uh, I didn't. Unfortunately, I couldn't go on my first year trip because I was ill at the time. But I did go on the second year to Slovenia. We went to Ljubljana. And from then on, I did trips、uh, around Europe and so on until、uh, in 2019 I went to Southeast Asia, where we met up again. Well, all of us met actually.、Mm. So yeah. Yeah, Cambodia. Yeah, on the Cambodia first、crew. night.、Uh, yeah. It was, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I, I had just crossed the border from Vietnam.、Uh, I was literally arriving in Cambodia that day. On the day we we ran, well, the day I ran into Thailand, and then I think two days later I went down to Kampot. Where I met Hannah. Good times. Quite incredible, isn't <laughs>、yeah. it? Yeah, really is a small world. So I want to ask. We're going to go a few a few questions. First of all, how was Slovenia? 
Because you're the only person I know who's even been to Slovenia, to be honest. Slovenia How was is that? lovely. It's a, very, it's a small country, uh, but it's very, it's very nice, very beautiful. Uh, the food is really good. Very, um, I remember on the first day we were there, we went to, we tried to find a restaurant that, uh, that like served traditional Slovenian food. And we found this restaurant very, it reminded me a lot of like a Bavarian uh, beer house, which I'm sure Hannah knows. Like very like a lot Ooh. of wood, like exposed <laughs> yeah. wood, and the food was all like very gamey. It was all like, oh, we have wild boar medallions and uh, stag steak, and he was like, can I have some chickens? Like we Ooh. don't serve that here. Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes, laughs> it was really gross. And you, well, England is not really known beer, for course. its good food, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, incredible place. And incredible then, place, yeah. Lake Bled, especially. I think it's one of the most famous places in Slovenia. It's a huge lake with a, a small island in the middle. You can rent a little rowboat and try to row down to the, the island and go see the... I think it's, um, it's a monastery in the middle. Yeah, that's, it's really, really beautiful. Once you see uh, photos of Slovenia, usually it'll be photos of Lake Bled. It's really stunning. And um, when, how does that tie into work? What work did you do down there? I know it's not real work, but like, what work were you supposed to be doing there? So, <laughs> so at the time I was studying at university and I was taking my uh, Bachelor of Science degree in archaeology. Uh, so technically we were meant to go there and soak in the historical value that exists in the country. But primarily what wow. we did was eat a lot and find a historical value <laughs> in all the bars. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like they're not even trying to hide it. Like, that sounds like, oh, there's yeah, no, no there's no lecturers. And, yeah, find it's, some a, it's a student-only trip, so there's no lecturers there. So we kind of, we just, <gasps> basically, we wow. the trips are done in association with the department. But once we kind of leave the country, they don't know what the hell we do. We just tell them, like, we just have to say, like, we're going to go to this place because of we're going to see all this archaeology. And once we're there, they don't really care much. I literally spend an entire day uh, drinking in an old Soviet uh, military base in the middle of Ljubljana <laughs> with uh, skinheads and punks, which is... <laughs> wow, but that is, like, kind of history it's, as well. And it mm, must have a rich history a in general, Slovenia. Uh, it's, a, it's a place called, it's a place called Metalkova in there. And uh, it's, yeah, it's an old military Metal base Co and it has like, uh, basically the, the, it's the, the main compound is where the soldiers and their families used to live, but it's been turned into bars and clubs. So it has like uh, heavy metal bars and like normal clubs and then like gay clubs and all this stuff in there. Oh my and God, that is everyone, so cool. all the youth of uh, Ljubljana meets there. And so you have like a mixture between everyone in there. And uh, yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Like it does get a bit dangerous at times. We did have a friend who had a knife pulled on him because he said the wrong thing. But then like, as soon as we talked to the guy who pulled the what knife. What did he say? Don't really know. Um, I think, well, they accused, them, they accused them of looking like a Nazi at one point because he was blonde and ha was wearing a long coat because it was freezing. And then we just said like, well, he's English, and he was just like, oh. And then he just put the knife away, and she's like, I'll let me buy you a pint for that. And he did. And that was it. I'd take that. You'd, you know, yeah. you might get stabbed, you might get a free pint. Yeah. That's a risk I'm willing to I say. To That's like a Russian roulette. I have to admit, um, toilet facilities not the best in this uh, abandoned Soviet camp. 
But, you know, you take the good with the bad. Fair enough. Yeah, but you could say that about half the stops in France. I remember every time you go over to France, and I, they don't have toilets. There's just a hole in the ground that you have to hope that you It's hit. very much what Metal Cova was like. It's literally just, they have a little wooden screen. Or at least when I was there, they had a little wooden screen. And behind it, they had a couple of pits dug into the floor. That was it. At least those were the male <laughs> toilets. I'm not sure about the female facilities, unfortunately. You go inside the female, it's like a five-star hotel. Maybe. All I know that at least it was, a, it was an actual house. <laughs> It was an actual, like, For, indoor place. So it was... That's crazy. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's positive. <laughs> and so after there, where did you say was next? You went... You said you started going around Europe. Yeah, so after that, I went... Um, so because I was in university, of course, money was a bit tight. Uh, so yeah, I went... Uh, I only did a travel again with university. So the same type of thing. But the year after, we went to Athens uh, in Greece. Oh, uh, and wow. that was that one we did actually look at archaeology a bit more uh yeah it makes sense well i think you should when you go yeah, to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we visited all the temples went to the national archaeology museum uh would definitely recommend don't drink ouzo the night before you want to go somewhere nice because for those of you who don't know it's ouzo sort of like sambuca but what it does oh. is that the crystals don't dissolve very quickly in your in your stomach because it has like big sugar, uh, sugar and alcohol cube, uh, crystals, and when you drink water, if not long enough has passed, you can get pissed again, and that's something we found when we went to the National Archaeology Museum. <laughs> in uh, and one of our mates tried to climb. That's a statue. so interesting. Well, in the wow, <laughs> there was a lot of visa. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, there was a lot of visa flying the night before uh, at dinner, and the hours that that came after dinner, but. Yeah, the, let's just say the, uh, <laughs> the, the the museum staff were not best pleased with us. With like a bunch of, <laughs> I get a one year olds, twenty two year olds sprinting around the museum, and someone trying to climb a statue. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best museum I've ever been to. It was to. incredible. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely loved it. Yeah, because probably you were drunk. That was probably the best I experience. To, I wasn't the most. The I was a little bit, but I I conducted myself with. Uh, Poison dignity. Uh, while I was there, I was a very, poison I was very respectful of. Uh, I did try to emulate a few of the statues and the way they were standing. One of them included uh, taking off my shoe and pretending I was uh, hitting someone. At least it's your shoe and nothing else. Yeah, because I know the statues in Greece, it could have been far worse. <laughs> but yeah, Greece, Greece. Um, my first trip to Greece. That was because I have I've gone back to Greece again. After. <laughs> <laughs> a trip to remember Every single one of them, luckily I've been to remember <laughs> I think everyone should be thrown out of a museum at some point in their life for something Ooh. ridiculous well yeah it's done <laughs> there you go National Archaeology Museum <laughs> they, they didn't like Hannah what's Check the on the bucket list <laughs> Hannah what's the worst thing you've ever done in a museum I have to be honest and visited that many museums I mean I did a copper but I never did something that in there oh. haven't lived well it's right we've still got we've still got time for you yeah still young they're still playing <laughs> like when we go to mexico we can do they're something still together to in greece <laughs> what <laughs> that's yeah? true yeah there you go Uza. Uza. what's the worst thing you did have you never no never tried it no never heard of it like usually Usually you get it in a Greek restaurant for free after you yeah. really finished your dinner. Maybe. Have you never been yeah, to a Greek restaurant? I, I, well, I have, but I've always been with my family. I might go soon. It's uh, um, 
maybe. Yeah, like, try it. Okay, it's like, if it's a green, if it's green, I used to, it's the precursor to some yeah, great adventures. Yeah, I used to. Uh... Visa. Mm. Like, yeah. Many great adventures started with a glass of Visa. The only time I I learned <laughs> how to fire breathe after drinking Visa from a random uh, random man on the street in in Athens. Still have a video of that somewhere. <laughs> Just uh, you know, have a glass of Visa, <laughs> a glass of petrol, kind of similar. Why not? You put no! petrol in the mouth and then you spit it out. And that's how you fire breathe. That's such a bad idea. It was a great idea. Can we just say to the listeners of this podcast, like, we don't recommend doing that unless you're a professional. No, do not. No, you know what? Fuck it. Do it. Do it. It do makes it. your Why mouth not? taste horrific for a good, like, five days after. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. there's nothing you can do to, to get what? rid of it. Oh, shit. Damn. But why would you do that? It's just why like not? out of curiosity. Uh, you can get a lot of money doing it. Oh, it was like, People used to do it when I worked in my bear. Yeah, this was like a street performer that just came up to a big group of foreigners and he asked, like, do you want to do it? And I was just like, why not? It's a bit of an experience. And I did it. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's very cool. Good fun. Good fun. <laughs> <laughs> one, of the, one of the many... Why? One of those many adventures that <laughs> That alcohol got me into <laughs> while traveling. <laughs> well, they yeah. are like a lot to come probably as well yeah. in the future. And what was next after that? After that, I spent two weeks in uh, traveling between Croatia and Bosnia with a few friends. Uh, so we started in in Split. We started in Split. Okay, that's one. Yeah, I started there. I was there for a few days. Uh, Kind of just relaxing because very much um, like just enjoying the sun and the mm. sea, and I I, mm. I very much enjoyed the uh, the massive because the center of for a lot of people who don't know a uh, little bit of a history fact, uh, the center of Split is actually built inside what was a Roman a Roman emperor's palace, and the outside walls are the walls of the palace oh. still standing. Wow, I think wow it's that's I think I want to say. Don't quote me on that. I don't know. I'm not a. I'm if, a if it's wrong, we'll cut it out. Yeah, I'm not a. I'm not a Roman <laughs> archaeologist. I specialized in medieval stuff. That's mad that though. It's mad that when you think you have all these incredible buildings from like so long ago that still perfectly exist today, oh, yeah. and yet they build houses today that will be gone in a hundred years. Yeah. Well, we don't actually. So I suppose it's the difference. Yeah. We don't actually so, know. Uh, so when the Roman Empire fell in uh the fourth century or the fifth century actually uh we lost a lot of their techniques for building and a lot of their a lot of their technology in general and one of the things we lost was their their um and to this day we still don't know how is how they made concrete we don't know how romans made concrete to this day we we can come close but we can't get it exactly and their concrete has survived underwater for hundreds for two thousand years and uh if you put modern concrete wow. underwater, it breaks down within 50 years, 100 years. How have they done that? But there's like, there, there's a lot of things that people still don't know to this yeah. day because they also don't know how the pyramids were built, right? Uh, so Aliens. Like, there's no a new study that was released last year, I think, where they mm. they think they, f they have a much better idea now of how the pyramids would have been built because they actually know where the stones were quarried. So they would have been quarried mm. further south uh, and then they would have used the river and barges to bring the stones up. And then what they would have done is probably used wooden, kind of wooden uh, poles under to kind of roll the mm. stones so that it would be easier. You wouldn't just drag them, but they would just roll. They would grease up the poles so that it would be easier to roll them down. But then, of course, a lot of it was, you know, slave power, unfortunately. 
still yeah. yeah that's just that's yeah, just how that's it was true. have you ever been no, there i do want to go i was meant to have done a dig in egypt in the valley of the kings uh where a lot of mummies are oh. found uh in my second wow, year wow that is so cool but it got cancelled last minute because the the professor oh. ran away with all the money and no yeah, went back to she went back to america uh we took the cash for the excavation and uh buggered off with it how much cash i don't know i had only paid the deposit it was like Damn. the deposits and stuff so i had paid the deposit archaeology scandal of the year <laughs> this was back in 20 2013 2014 yeah a while ago wow that's incredible. Yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a. I just want to hear more facts now. I'm really hooked on these facts. What else do you know? What else can you tell us? I can tell you a lot of things. <laughs> what happens uh, in British universities? Tell us. What type of things you want to know? Uh, I can tell you plenty of um, stuff. What's the best archaeological um, site you've been to? Don't say Angkor Wat. Oh, oh, spot on it. You'll remember um, in in one of our first episodes. Um, we talked about um, a man who never quite saw Anchor Watt. The inside, um, I saw the outside. And this, and this is the man himself, Pedro. No, that's that was Pedro. Me. I didn't that was know. Me. What? That was, uh, mildly infuriated. Oh my god! How did I not know? Day. I thought you went with Mika Turn and no, the others. No, I, I did. I missed the him. inside. I didn't go Be- in the inside. I saw it outside. Oh shit! But it wasn't. Shit! It was because the, our taxi driver didn't uh, turn at the right turn to get into Angkor Wat. So we had to go further up the road to turn around, come back, to then turn back into the road, to then turn into Angkor Wat. So we lost about 25 minutes that I could have gone in. Wow, Which is why you, you would have hated it. You would have hated it. Awful, I awful. Just like, you know. <laughs> but now everyone knows why I was angry. It's because I'm an archaeologist and that's you know what I do for life. But at least now you've got an excuse to go back because I would go back to Cambodia any day. Oh yeah, absolutely. I yeah, same. Back, uh, at some point, but that's also why I was rushing in all the others because I was like, "Well, I'm not. Go- I've missed this. I'm not going to miss anything <laughs> at all from the others." And then I got yeah, you guys left me at one of the temples because I I had to get a lift to, to another temple for we were random. Tom, that's the so t- rude. We we thought we were being funny, and when we were, it was. Um, uh, <laughs> I, had to, I had to walk down the road and hitchhike you know, on a random guy's tuk-tuk and it was so hard to explain to him what had happened because <laughs> and I was just like holding on at the back of the tuk-tuk for like dear life and I was just like where the hell has everyone gone uh, they were just it was a enjoying, good day they were just Overwatch. enjoying their time at the next temple walking around <laughs> well we had we had kind of a few weird experiences together with the chick-chick. Do you remember the one night that we went out, I think in Phnom Penh, and we're like, had just like two or three tuk-tuks with all of us, like 15 people was or so. The, yeah. the banana and shirt. They night. were like lying on the... Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. And I think Joe jumped off of the tuk-tuk yeah. as well yeah. and hurt his ankle. Yeah, he did. He went to get Stephen. He went to get... Anyway, yeah. one of um, uh, it was also, I got to, I'm pretty sure it was that night that one of the guys let me drive their tuk-tuk um, whilst I was really drunk and I tried to drive like a metre forward and ended up in a ditch. It was, it's actually very that? hard to drive a tuk-tuk, which is a bit concerning as I'm oh, about to be doing it for the summer. <laughs> they have experience. Well, we will still talk about that as well. Yeah, we'll be fine. Do you remember that, I think you, Taryn, were 
with us in that trick-trick as well. I think it was in Comport or so when we drove back as well to Arcadia Hostel. And I think it was you, Joe, Stephen and Diana with us in a tuk-tuk, uh, with me in a tuk-tuk. And the tuk-tuk driver was just stopping randomly in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so dark and then he went to this gas station and he poured it over the tuk-tuk and he started washing the tuk-tuk which I didn't know I thought he's going to burn us so I jumped out of the tuk-tuk and I screamed I'm not going to die today if you're going to die that's on you I will not live or something like that and Joe was thinking the same that he's going to burn us. Diana just bursted out laughing. And Joe was like, yeah, I thought actually as well that he poured like patrol over but us. But what, didn't do anything? Was just... No, very, he was watching her. Yeah, things. he was like, <laughs> like he yeah. was too lazy. Like, he was like, I think at that point I just accepted yeah. it. I can, I can <laughs> 100% you know imagine Joe just like watching this guy pour a liquid and in, in his mind <laughs> thinking it's better and him just going like, eh, it's been a good life. Yeah. <laughs> it's too much of an effort to walk all the way back so might as well just die here <laughs> that's incredible uh -huh, that's, that's so good I don't remember that oh that's sad yeah you were all laughing at me because I jumped like over two people and outside of the tuk tuk <laughs> wow <Fair enough. laughs> one other thing I want to talk about quickly as well is that actually Pedro is a very very good photographer and all of my best pictures of Angkor Wat and the various other temples because Angkor Wat isn't actually just made up of one temple there's 14 14 uh, temples yeah around that I don't know exactly the exact number, around, all of my best photos on Instagram from Cambodia are actually Pedro's like I think like every single one um, including the ones of like there's some of me which I'm pretty sure I asked Pedro to take and some of Pedro's ones where I just because I looked at mine at the end of the day and went oh fuck Pedro <laughs> could you lend me some photos I took a lot of photos that day like uh, do you want to know how many photos I took that day how many over 750 on my what? iPhone wow yeah. Shit. That's so cool. And that in, that included like, photo, like mini well. photo shoots of everyone who was on that, like on our tuk tuk especially. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and so, moving on from Cambodia, what did you do after Cambodia? Or tell me about your Asian experience. Let's, because I don't think we've ever talked particularly about this. How, where did you start when you went traveling through Southeast Asia? Where did you finish, and how did you get between each place? So. I guess like my Southeast Asia trip really began before I went traveling because it was all a bit of a, an adventure from the beginning. So I was working in the north of Wales in archaeology. I was digging, I was digging in a site in the north of Wales and a friend of mine uh, who I ended up living with in Singapore uh, went traveling with his girlfriend and uh, to Southeast Asia as well. And he kind of spent a long time telling me about this and it kind of stuck in my mind and i wasn't that happy about the work um there wasn't a lot of work in general for, at in archaeology at that time so i knew that i had to kind of stick out with this job but i wasn't very happy about it because uh, if anyone knows north wales this is like north north wales anglesey which is a, an island in the north of wales in the middle of winter not a very nice place then oh, uh, <laughs> digging outside like but so i went for a casual drink with a friend one evening and woke up the next morning with a uh, flight to thailand 
booked. That's amazing. <laughs> That's the way to go. For, for three weeks later. Totally support that. So at least I gave myself a little bit of time, you know. I gave myself three weeks. Yeah. So at least it's good to I know like, that That's my, amazing. That my unconscious mind can at least like take care of myself but yeah so that's, that's where incredible. i started so for, for us for three weeks and i got on a flight one-way flight uh i had no return ticket to bangkok and so that's where my journey began in, in bangkok yeah. and then i did such a um such an incredible place to fly into as well bangkok because it's such a different world I mean, it's always like even compared to other parts of Thailand, there's no other place in Thailand which is like Bangkok. But it's such a busy, um, busy world. And you just I think like you arrive and it's a real culture shock the second you get off yeah, the flight. It is. But people are so nice there that make you feel very much at home uh, when you arrive. Uh, so I was quite um, it was quite lucky. I was staying quite close to Khao San Road as well. So the tourist hub. So it was always mm. quite easy. Uh, but I was lucky enough to meet quite nice people when I first arrived uh, who kind of like helped me around. Well, I was traveling by myself as well, uh, which can always be a bit scary for people. But I found that to, yeah. be, to be perfectly honest. And I was in Asia for six months and I didn't travel alone a single day because uh, you should, meet, you should yeah. meet people every day. And as long as you're willing to make a few new friends, you will. Uh, yeah, I believe that. But yeah, Bangkok was quite an experience. I was there twice uh, during my trips because uh, I went to Thailand twice but you never and did you do north or the south I did both Dubai. so I, at the start when I first started traveling uh, when I I stayed in Bangkok for a couple of days and then I went north towards Chiang Mai and I did Chiang Mai and Pai up there nice. and I also did something called uh, the Hajiang Loop which is yeah, uh, yeah. which oh, yeah. is a motorcycle trip uh, which if you're going to do it it has some difficult parts in it so i would advise that you have some experience riding uh <laughs> just a scooter at least they they won't give you like the the weak scooters they'll give you some of the more like the more powerful ones because it is it's 800 kilometers uh and you can start most people start in chiang mai but i started in pai so and you're meant to start in chiang mai and do a circle and come back to chiang mai i, I just started how, in pai. and how many days it's four days and it led to some 800k uh, Ooh, wow. in four days yeah that's with a lot wow. of stops in, in the middle, kind of see a lot of waterfalls, a few yeah. hot water springs, a lot of temples, uh, stop in a few, a few cities, a few villages that a lot of people don't stop. Uh, yeah, so did that. That was a, I had a, my driving experience on the Stein day boiled down to 25 minutes driving around a car park the day, the day before. <laughs> Shit. so that was that was a, a good experience uh i should point out it wasn't the first uh dumb experience i had in thing i fell out of a taxi in pi as well <laughs> out of the back of it Ow. while it was going i was going a few uh, i went to a jungle party and on the way oh, back yeah. that oh, makes sense classic. yeah you don't need to say anything else <laughs> <laughs> well i should explain because when people imagine a taxi they imagine a completely closed car but for of those course. of you who've never gone to thailand in thailand they have these large sort of like open back uh, mm. like kind of uh, pickup trucks with a little cage but what they do is they fill up the seats inside in the back and then two people hold themselves up <laughs> in the back and because I'm so tall I was one of those people that was holding themselves up at the back and basically the as I was going it hit a pothole and it kind of jumped up and I lost my footing and I just got dragged by the taxi for like a couple of miles until I got pulled back in. And apparently I was just laughing hysterically the whole time. 
and loving life. Fair. I wouldn't have done yeah. the same. Just loving life. That's all you can do with I situation. love those taxis. No, yeah, they were good fun. They didn't put me off riding them. <laughs> I used to try and climb on top of them. It used to be my drunk thing to do. You know where they keep the suitcases? Yeah. Um, because I, because you're young and stupid. Obviously, I wouldn't do it now. And, <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, but, um, but like, um, you'd, I'd get really drunk and then decide that I want to sit in the seating area. And so you wait as it's going along. And I yeah. was always waiting there, for one day where it's going to fall off. There's always the guy who sits at the top of the bags while it's going. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Front. It looks so much fun. So I don't, I don't <laughs> it. It's like VIP seat. Mm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> more more you know, legroom. Yeah, exactly. Things like this is why men die first. No. We no, have fun on the just, way out. I think it's odd. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so but, when after Pai and Chiang Mai and then you did the Haijiang loop yeah is so that I, right? did, I did that Haijiang loop uh, which it's it's incredible so you visit some incredible things so I visited like the um, I think there's a very famous tribe in the north of Thailand that a lot of people don't know actually live there which is the uh, the long, they call it the long neck tribe uh, I'm sure people would have seen photos of those women who like extend their necks and their joints with rings so they're yeah. in the north of Thailand. So we went to visit one of their uh, one of their villages in the middle oh, of the mountains, wow. which riding a scooter in the middle of a mountain where there's no paths is also quite an adventure because half of oh the time you're just gosh, carrying that... the scooter rather than riding on it. <laughs> wow. wow. But yeah, we went. That must be so stressful. I went to one of those villages, spent a bit of time there, uh, went to a temple that is literally just... Uh, Went to a couple of temples called the fish temples uh where one of them you go into a cave that has a lake inside uh and the lake is just full of massive catfish and you're going in these little canoes and you're just like throwing food out the sides and the catfish <laughs> go mental and like jumping everywhere around you and you can do another one where they give you actual buckets of food and you go into this little hole and at the bottom of the hole is just chock full of fish as well like gigantic fish they say that the biggest one is over a meter and a half in length. Wow! And the biggest one they've measured in there. And there's also there's a cave underneath it. You can't visit the cave, but you just have this kind of chute that goes down, and you can feed them from the top. And it's literally like fish wars. They go to they go to full on battle between each, each other for like little, like, for like a piece of le of lettuce. They made for Finland country. <laughs> it's absolutely incredible. Uh, but yeah, That's I think amazing. you see because you go through the mountains because the North Thailand has a lot of it's very mountainous. You go through the mountains in your bike and stuff, and it's quite incredible. You literally pass through villages because you can. We are lost a lot of times, to be honest, and because uh, the maps just aren't the best around that those areas. And we would just end do you up, not have a guide? No, no, no. It was just three of us on two bikes, and we just went off. Wow. We kind of rented a room in Pai and left all of our main stuff there. We just took like a couple of days, changed clothes and small backpacks, and just went. Uh, and you should drive through the mountains and half the time start driving through like villages that haven't seen a westerners probably ever because they literally kind of, like run up to you and go like stare at you take try to take photos of you and stuff uh while you're wow. driving and you kind of everyone waves all the kids start like screaming running up to you it's really oh, cool and you can, so cute. yeah we stopped at one of the villages played a little bit of football which is quite cool like little kickabout with the kids oh my god that's amazing it was, it was an incredible experience i would definitely say like it's because uh, a lot of people know the uh the motorcycle loop in the north of vietnam that that's a lot more popular mm. yeah but the one in thailand is incredible uh as long as you're willing to 
you know, you, it, it does have its dangers, of course. I would say definitely have a, yeah, bit, of, of course. Uh, have a bit of practice on the bike. Uh, driving, I think the scariest one I had was coming into the third city. Uh, I can't remember the name of it exactly. It's like quite a small city. But we had to drive through the mountains in like, literally with like sheer drops on either side of the road with the road full of like potholes everywhere, like huge potholes on these tiny scooters in the middle of the night, like pitch black, like past midnight at night. And we, all we had was like the little lights of our, of our scooters no. driving through this. And like, all you can hear is like, cause you have these lights and all the insects are attracted to them. And we're trying to go fairly slow. You could just see like bats swooping by and stuff like that. And it's crazy. <laughs> Great experience. I love that, it. Well, you're lucky you didn't get COVID. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. At the end of the four days, I couldn't feel, <laughs> my, couldn't feel my butt cheeks. At the end of the four days. <laughs> it was just so incredible. Coming into Pai as well, doing the um, the mountain road up uh, from Chiang Mai to Pai. It was quite cool. That's really you cool. Can visit the, uh, oh. When you're in Chiang Mai, you can visit the Chiang Mai sex gardens. They're quite cool. <laughs> what dare oh, I ask? I think I heard oh, about Oh, yeah, I bet. I think I've heard about it. <laughs> Hannah's Didn't Jack Whitehall went there with his he did. father? It's an actual private, uh, yeah, private house. Yeah, see? That's how I know yeah. about him. I, I also went there. Uh, the person so what, wasn't so there. So what is it? The owner. It's someone's actual private house, uh, but they've turned their house into kind of an art installation. And it's just like okay. penises and vaginas everywhere. Okay. Oh, as you do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fair like enough. Sexual Thailand, of all places. Porn yeah. capital of the world. Yeah, from what I've... I mean, they even have these whorehouses with monkeys, like orangutans. Do they? I didn't know which that. Is like, what? They do, what? which is really fucked up. No. I was talking the other day with friends about it, and they didn't believe me, and then they Googled what? it, and they fixed it. So you have... I said no, the truth. No, no one's that. abusing... This... No, it is actually so fucked oh. up. They're like these dirty mattresses, and then no. men are going in there to uh yeah well have sex with orang utans and they're wearing like tissues as well it's so fucked What's up wrong yeah with yeah i know right this is really fucked up God. i don't know if i want this in the podcast no, that's so upsetting I, I think you should cut the whole sex garden pass because well. <laughs> 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 oh my god but then as well if people are aware of that maybe someone is doing anything True. about it because i think this should definitely happen. yeah let's hope someone is there's some type i would i would gladly give money to any institution that's trying to stop this stop that yeah. we'll yeah. find one we'll add it as a um uh, link yeah in this week's yeah, episode we sure. okay moving on swiftly Jesus. um <laughs> so <Yeah>. after <laughs> after after slutting around with monkeys in the north of thailand <laughs> um, what was that <laughs> you're gonna have to cut that now <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> after after the north of Thailand, where did you go next? After the north of Thailand, I went to. So I was a bit of an idiot at this stage. Uh, I should have gone to Chiang Rai and then caught the boat to to Laos. Yeah. But for oh, some reason in my head, I thought that I didn't have enough time, even though I had no end date because I had no flight <laughs> home. So I convinced myself <laughs> that I had to go straight to Vietnam. Which is what I did. I flew to Hanoi after, and I spent a month in Vietnam traveling from north to south. Amazing. So That's I, really I cool. actually, later on in my trip, did go back for another two weeks in the north of uh, Vietnam because uh, I, I skipped a few places here and there because a month is not enough to see everything. A month yeah, and a half is not agree. enough to see everything in Vietnam. 
It's not. Uh, 100%. It's just And um, out of interest, what do you think of your route? Because I also did north to south. When I did it, I found lots of people do south to north, which is fine, except for you keep meeting cool people and then you have a conversation and then you get to the, so which way are you travelling? And they go like the opposite way. Um, and that, I just found that a little bit annoying once every now and then again. Actually, you did the motorcycle, didn't you? Yeah. Through it. Uh, so I found that people doing just normal buses tend to do north to south. People okay. doing motorcycles tend to go the other way because it's easier to get a motorcycle in uh, Ho Chi Minh. That makes sense. So, mm, interesting. Uh, I did see a few people doing it Hanoi down, so north-south. Uh, but they, they were complaining about how hard it is to find a motorcycle and stuff there because a lot of people just... Uh, because what they do is they tend to, like, people sell them off. So I think it might be, like, they sell them off to... Instead of selling it to other people like they do in Ho Chi Minh, they might sell them off to, like, a garage or something. Um, yeah, it, it makes sure. a lot of sense. In but, fairness, I um, I rented mine, which was the best decision I ever made. Um, obviously, you, you pay something more. I think I paid 200 quid in total for my month. But, like, um, if you ever broke down anywhere... They would get you a replacement motorbike and it would be fixed for free. And you never had, and it never broke down. Everyone yeah. else I was travelled with who bought their bikes, theirs always broke down and mine was faster, despite it being a lower CC, which I thought was weird. Maybe because yeah. it was automatic. Um, I got semi-automatic. Not quite automatic, because that's obviously pathetic. And not yeah, quite manual, because that's hard if, work. If the people who are driving with you aren't like quite, they don't know a lot about, um, or they're not very uh, accustomed to driving fully manual, they might lose they might be losing speed while changing gears and so on. But, yeah, that's true. See, I want to, I want to go back and do the, the motorcycle trip. However, I want to buy the bike, but I know that at the end I'm not going to be able to give it up, and I'm going to end up bringing it back to the UK somehow. Oh my god, do it! <laughs> do it! That would be so old, good. Um, <laughs> like I, I do have a plan at some point to do it. Save some money and then go do it. Uh, but I have a few other plans, so. We'll have to see how those go. You might be even able to go on like a really massive journey and just drive the motorbike back. Yeah, absolutely, to the UK. yeah. You could go straight into so you could go from there to into China, or you can go if you want. You can go through Thailand, through Laos into Thailand, into Brunei, uh, and then into India. You should make a documentary about mm, it. Then all you have to do is like kind of either you have to or decide you have whether to... you go up and hit Russia or you go through the Stans to like Kazakhstan and stuff. And mm. Eastern Europe. Yeah. Eastern Europe. Once you're yeah, in Europe, it's easy. That. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> it's just smooth sailing. Easy, easy not quite what I would use, but I think it would be an amazing trip. Smooth sailing. How, I, yeah, right? Probably like... I mean, people would be interested in your journey, like going from Cambodia to back to the UK, just because you want to keep that bike. Yeah. And like the journey in between will be super interesting be for quite everyone. A journey. Uh, I know someone who did um, Netflix kind of a similar thing, but they Done. went through the whole of Africa, north to south oh. Africa, on, in a Jaguar. And uh, they actually got, Endless. and they recorded it, and Jaguar sponsored them, found out about it, and started sponsoring them, and sent people to like help them repair the car and stuff halfway through the journey. And stuff. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Although not quite, I think a Jaguar is a bit more... Um, of a nicer, safer trip, I would imagine. Well, I say safer, but like you're less likely to injure yourself in a crash. But I suppose it, you know, you, they do do the derby as well, don't I'm they? I'm sure if you, I'm sure if you crash a jaguar against a buffalo, you'd still hurt yourself a bit. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> hopefully not the buffalo though. Yeah, hopefully not. Of course. <laughs> Where was your favorite place in Vietnam? Uh, I know the 
most accepted answer would be uh, Hoi An. That would be the most <laughs> That's accepted so answer. True. That's so true. <laughs> it is, it is an incredible true? place. However, I would say Fong to... Na. Yeah, I would say Fong Na would, was my favorite. Uh, I really enjoyed the, the trips into the caves and stuff like that and all the splunking happening there. I never did that. I never uh, did that. I, I went back. It was during my second trip uh, when I went back for two weeks after later on in my travels. Uh, I went back and, and it's really, really good. It's also the place where the the world's largest cave yeah, is located. Yeah, I heard that too. But just recently, right? I know, I know Taron Didn't mentioned they just it found it like a couple podcast? of months, years ago? Uh, yeah, they only found out how, well, they still, I think they still don't know exactly how big it is, but like it's so mm. big that uh, parts of the cave have, have, its, have it, their own ecosystem. I've heard they, this. The cave has its own yeah. river. That only so that cool. only flows inside the the cave, and uh, yeah, it has like places that are big enough to fit entire skyscrapers. Wow, uh, oh, it's gigantic. That's... Unfortunately, you can't. But get... isn't it super expensive to go inside there, so like on a trip? It or is a, It is a protected. Uh, the entire cave is protected, mm. not just by Vietnam, but just by it's a World Heritage Site and so on, or a World Protection Site, and. Uh, so they only organize only i think one or two companies are allowed to organize trips inside and they're only allowed to do it during a very specific time of year so it, it literally they do like one or two week trips into it where you just camp you literally live inside the cave wow. for time. uh you just camp inside i imagine that must be such an amazing experience yeah, but it costs like six grand <gasps> yeah yeah but isn't it the case as well that because you go in like well, kilometers, that at some point, if the guides think that you can continue walking or that you won't make it, they send you back and you won't get your money back? Probably. That was very likely, yeah. Makes sense. I think I heard that. Because they use, I know they use some of the money is for like, um, to uh, finance, uh, like research in the cave and the protection of it and so on. So I don't think they would be. And just the, the, just the permits are very expensive and those are like government uh, mm. given, so I don't, I don't see the government giving money back, giving refunds. Yeah, fair. Yeah, that's very true. And also, if you've sort of like you know what you're going to do, if you can't do it, like that's on you. Yeah, isn't it? That's personal yeah. responsibility. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I guess you'd you'd be spending a fair bit of time preparing before you go in. And even I suppose if they have to, to take that. you back, you're gonna have one person go back, whereas the rest of the group carries on. So you need to have like prepared, be prepared for that to happen. Yeah, yeah, I guess, like, if there's an emergency or something, they would have to, to have something in mm. place to get you out of the cave as soon as possible. Mm. Yeah, That's mad, that, though. I would say that, and then Hoi An, because Hoi An is very beautiful. It is so beautiful, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I really like Delact, personally, as well, um, which I feel like no one Never ever mentions. But then I think that's more because I had a great time in Delact rather than um, because it was a place of spectacular beauty. I did go to the Lat as well. I was there for two days. I the Lat has a lot of things. I think the Lat is less of a. It's just a place backpackers tend to skip. I think that's why not a lot of people talk about it, because it's true. Even though it does have um, really cool stuff, it has the da the Dragon Bridge, the one that breathes fire and water. That's yeah. really cool. Uh, and it has a waterfall the... with a roller coaster. Yeah. Did you go to the? <laughs> uh, did you go to to Barna Hills? 
Oh, you were there? Yes. I'm, I, why don't... I, I, no, I didn't. I looked at it. So, Barnard Hills, for anyone who doesn't know, which I imagine most people won't, it looks like a sort of Hogwarts-style French city built on a hill as a oh theme park. Oh, my gosh. It's very weird, but it's very expensive. But they also have that um, iconic hand the, statue. The, ah, the yeah. The Golden Bridge with the hands, yeah. So, mm. I went there. I paid to go there because of that Did bridge. Because I wanted to see it. So, do you know the, the story of Barnard Hills? Yeah. No. So it was an it was an actual village. It was a retreat for the French colonials to get away from the heat, because it was cooler up in the hills. Hmm, okay, interesting. So that's why they then and that's that's the with. real. So it's all real French architecture then. No, no, no. So a lot of it has now been built. It used to have houses and stuff there, but now it's been okay. So they've because of the oh. history of it of being used as a resort, they've converted it into this place of like where Vietnamese people can go and see what if incredible stereotypical like a very stereotypical uh european village looks like like with a <laughs> little catholic church right in the middle of town square and uh like all these little houses and they serve like if you go to the um if you go to the food hall they serve like German beer and French, uh, French seafood. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible, and it's uh, the food there is all you can eat. So it was one of the few times while I was oh. in Asia where I got to eat like a lot of European food, even though I wasn't complaining about not eating European food. Yeah, no, food out there is incredible. It, mm. But I suppose yeah. every now and then it's nice to have like a just feel like you're almost eating European food for like the first time in a while. Was it worth the money you paid for it? Because that's what puts me off. And um, was the price in the end? And would you say it was worth it overall? Um, it was pricey, I have to say. I think uh, I didn't manage to enjoy everything it had to offer because it also has like um, slides and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, so I didn't get to enjoy that. Uh, so I would say it was worth it for the one-off experience. I okay. wouldn't pay to go back. For sure. That makes sense because it is it is very pricey. It costs it costs the equivalent of like forty quid, I think it was, to get in. Uh, it's amazing. Transfer. It's amazing how priorities change. Because you were just saying before we started this podcast, you went out for three drinks in London and it was forty <laughs> quid, and no one was that surprised. But I turned down the thing because it was, and it's amazing isn't it, how things change depending on where you are. I think when you're out there, the main thing is that since you're traveling, you have to make sure that you have mm. money to take you keep like, on traveling last you until so vietnam was only the second country i had visited at that time and i was only halfway through it so i still had another like four and a half months or five mm. months left of traveling and i was just thinking like well i can't be spending all my money now it's true and this is a country where you can get a hostel bed for like two dollars a night yeah you can you can literally get a beer for less than a than a pound yeah which is funny, a lot less in the I'll, right place something i can talk about a little bit it's um I'm sure you guys, when you were in Vietnam, you drank a lot of tiger beer. We may just have. in Asia. We, we, we just, might uh, have. You know, had, had a drink here and there. Of tiger, yeah, yeah. Of course, uh, being extremely sensible with the amount. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but tiger beer is made in Singapore. Uh, yeah. It's a Singaporean beer. And it's more expensive, a lot more expensive to buy it in Singapore where it's made than it is to buy it in any other Asian country. Wow. But, and why is that? It's just because of the taxes they put in Singapore. They have very high taxes when uh, to anything that comes, uh, like anything that's considered uh, not very good for you. So like smoking, drinking, 
any of that has very high taxes. Do they have, I know some really random question. do they have McDonald's in Singapore and would that come under the same thing? Is that seen as like massively unhealthy? No, McDonald's is a huge thing there. Like the parents think all like, parents will just take their kids there most days if they need be. They have their own really? things, every, uh, even they have their own, uh, their own food items and everything. They have something called uh, the McSpicy, which is a spicy chicken burger, which is incredible. Alright. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> so they eat really unhealthy then? Yeah, like when I was when I was working there, uh, like the kids would come to lesson and then the, literally at, after as they were leaving lesson, they'd just be like, my parents are taking me to McDonald's. And then you would walk wow. past the McDonald's downstairs and it would be full of all of your students. <laughs> I don't know, but for some reason I always thought that they were eating healthy because everywhere in Asia, they're eating like very healthy. So I assume the same for Singapore. I think in Singapore, they have a very much uh, eat out uh, culture. Everyone eats mm. out a lot because it's actually cheaper to eat out than to buy produce and then cook at home because they don't really produce much themselves because they're quite a small country. So they have to import everything. It's yeah. You can buy oh, that makes sense. for the price of like five apples, you can probably eat for three days at a hawker center. Well, what? Yeah. Wow. That's nuts. Yeah, yeah. So you just mentioned that you lived in Singapore, which both of us obviously know, but just tell our listeners a little bit more why you lived there, when you moved there, and for how long you stayed there. So I so I first went to Singapore during my travels. I went to visit a couple of friends who were living there already and working. And when I came back to the UK after my travels, I kind of didn't really know what to do. So I decided, why not do... TEFL, uh, teaching English as a foreign language course, and go back out somewhere. My original plan was to go to Vietnam, uh, but because I have friends in Singapore, they kind of convinced me to give it a try. And also there was a few jobs going in Singapore, so I ended up moving there uh, to teach English, uh, which is funny because I'm not English myself, <laughs> but <laughs> I ended up going there teaching English as a foreign language to children, and I lived there for a year the whole of 2020 which was meant to be two years but then due to a number of factors ended up being cut short unfortunately and um you were saying when i spoke to you about this before uh, that when you went over they were really strict with their teaching requirements as well um and even said that you could go to prison if anything that you had provided wasn't true uh yeah during my application process so singapore has one of the strictest um application processes for a visa uh, in the entire world, uh, like for people who think that applying for a visa for Australia is strict, then Singapore is like a thousand times worse. In, wow! In Singapore, a company can't hire a foreigner unless they first prove that a local, a Singaporean, can't do that job. So they have to advertise to Singaporeans and interview Singaporeans, and then prove to the government, to the Ministry of uh, the Ministry of Work, that they couldn't find anyone in Singapore that could do that job. Then they're allowed to advertise to foreigners. Uh, so when, and when they advertise to foreigners, when you kind of go through the application process and everything and then you get the job, uh, you have to basically provide proof that you went to a, an accredited university. So like they won't just accept any university, that it has to be a university they recognize as being uh, good enough. Uh, so I went to, Taryn and I went to University of Reading here Ooh. in the UK. That one luckily has quite a few ties with Malaysia and Singapore because they have campuses out there. So that was a, that was fine. 
but usually they look at like top universities internationally they like anything that's like mid or low tier they they don't really care you might admit tier, you might be okay but they really want to like make sure that it's a real university that the the courses they provide are good enough uh you also need to provide uh so my specific problem that taran was just mentioning was a problem with my tefl with my teaching english course because when they printed out my certificate which is where i gave them for the visa they only put my first and last name while my degree had my full name so they basically just sent me an email saying ministry of work doesn't believe this is you because you're only oh, yeah. used, you only used your first and last name on this degree they believe it's a different person <laughs> so i had to go to a lawyer and get an affidavit a statement signed and notarized by a lawyer stating that under the penalty of being prosecuted by Singapore law i confirmed that i am the person that I'm the the actual wow. person in both these documents and basically if it was proved wrong i i would be prosecuted and stuff and i had to send that off and only then would they agree to 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 give me a a work visa but basically like it's the work is like you you can't just get there so basically when you move to singapore they give you a one, as a european you get a one month uh travel visa you can try and get work while you're there you can't work with a travel visa of course like that that is very very, very big no uh but you can look for work but you can't apply for a work visa until you already have a until you already have a job basically because the work has to apply for you the job has to apply for you you can't you can't apply for a work visa uh and then they will ask you for like a thousand documents they'll be like we need to see your passport we need to show that you have like so for example for me i had to show them that i had the right to live in the uk as well oh, wow. uh because because they wanted an english teacher and most of the times in uh in singapore they only want uh people born in countries that have english as a, as a first language so australia england america uh Canada those kind of places but since I'm Portuguese I had to prove that I had the right to live here that I lived there for a few for quite a while I had to prove that my English skills were good enough so I had to have like uh, a face to face uh like interview where literally most of the interview was just having a chat to see if my English skills were up to par wow uh, and then and then I had the normal interview where they test your uh your knowledge of teaching uh and the subject and then i also had to provide again the my my degree diploma like my diploma the uh my tefl de- uh, degree my the affidavit uh i had to like i don't even remember what else i had to do it was so much stuff and i had to do this all in a very short amount of time which is a lot, very stressful because i was actually yeah quite, i can imagine i did everything from application for the job my first application to moving to singapore in a month wow So yeah, it was quite it's quite a like a big of a bit of a rush because Yeah, I bet. Yeah, for David especially was quite a bad thing because they they mess they emailed me about that the day before I was meant to leave to go to Singapore and it was around I left on uh the day before New Year's and it was kind of like well everything is closed. I have to find a lawyer that's opened right now. <laughs> and I had to run around London trying wow. to find a lawyer that was open to like basically to uh notarize this affidavit so I could send it off to them so that I could actually get my flight and get to Singapore. That must have been expensive. The affidavit? Um just in general. 
Um, most things weren't so much expensive. Uh, the affidavit costs like I think like fifty quid or something like that. Okay. Okay, it's not, it but not totally. Uh, yeah, so I think the rest is just sending emails and stuff, and it's uh, the 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 TEFL costs a little bit, but a lot of times you might be able to find uh, them on uh, on like an offer or something, but they cost around like two hundred something quid, maybe up to five hundred quid, mm. depending on who you do it with. When you got out there, how did you find Singapore? Because that must be quite an experience in itself, because obviously Singapore is a tiny island. I think it's half the size of London. You said. And, yeah, thereabouts. And obviously, lots of people go and they go for two or three days. Um, obviously, spending a year then, that must have been quite an experience. Yeah, uh, well, I'd say Singapore is a lot easier. If you want to go to Asia and you don't want the culture shock, then Singapore is the place to go. Like, okay. It's very Western. It's very Westernized uh, in the way that it, it, it just looks and it acts. Of course, it still has like the traditional... A lot of traditional Asian aspects, but it's very, it's a lot more westernized than any of the other countries. Uh, people like English is their first language, uh, so you won't have trouble communicating with people, uh, which sounds a bit weird getting hired to be an English teacher, uh, like as a uh, to teach English as a foreign language to people who already speak English. But the population is mostly made up of uh, Chinese nationals. Uh, so they speak Chinese or Mandarin or something like that as the first language. So um, they'll speak Mandarin at home. They might speak a bit of English, but they need to like, what they want is for you to improve the kid, the children's skills to a basically a fluent speaker's level. So, but I would say in terms of, there was no culture shock uh, when I got there because it's, it's just very easy to, uh, to get about country's very modern they have like trains they're like very i would say it's easier to get around singapore on public transport than it is in london for example like all the trains and buses run on time <laughs> and, they have, and they have plenty of them uh, and i would love it <laughs> yeah like, i would love it yeah i would love that but and it, like i said it's, it's it doesn't take long to get around the, the place at all yeah. there's also taxis all the time so you can just get a taxi for pretty cheap but but they're also very strict. Um, I know, like for example, you can't chew gum. I think you can, you can get massive fine or like prison. Was it prison? Yeah. You can, um, uh, you get you get fines fines for for the uh, for the chewing gum. I think. Yeah. And well, you you just can't buy it anyway. So. Yeah. You can I only get so. uh, you can only get like medically prescribed gum, which might be for like uh, if you want to stop smoking or something like that. Uh, they might prescribe you some type of gum, but that's the only type of gum you can get. Uh, it is people still get a hold of it uh, they get a hold of it through uh, in Malaysia and stuff like that but the illegal gum uh, trade uh, there's a lot of things that are illegal like uh, for anyone who is trying to quit smoking out there vaping is illegal there oh really Completely. yeah but people you still see people vaping everywhere because oh, wow. they just bring them over from Malaysia mm, but I, I for example I had a vape uh, when I when travel when I was traveling, I went to the thing and it just got confused. I got pulled into a separate room at the airport, and they were just like, "You can't bring this; it's contraband." And I was like, "I didn't know." And they were like, <laughs> just gonna chuck it out. It's like, "Can we throw it out?" And I was like, "Well, yeah." <laughs> like, I'm not gonna get sent back to to Mal to yeah, yeah. because of a vape. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but how is living there like in general? If you're saying that food was so expensive. Did you cook there or did you use 
like most of the time take it because i remember that we all have a call like or a radio crew and that it was like i don't know if it was around christmas or so and you said that like everything is closed and you need to hurry up to get to the mall yeah so i did i did a bit of a mix between cooking mm. and because between cooking and ordering because at the while i was there i was trying to like uh, get healthier and stuff but most people tend to mostly order out they might cook a few times a week uh but they mostly go to these places called hawker centers to eat which are basically like little buildings with loads of food stalls and like just tables outside communal tables outside and you just go and order wherever you want go sit down and eat and you can eat there for like two dollars uh at the cheapest which is uh about two a pound at the cheapest uh but for example five apples might say you back five dollars absolutely mad uh, it is so crazy yeah, but it all so makes sense kind of, yeah but and when i say two dollars i mean like a plate full of food two dollars like a full lunch uh for two dollars that's good but you get healthy takeout as well there yeah, yeah you can get like healthy you can get like loads of stuff they have food from mm. all over it's one the big things i would say about singapore is the fact that like their food is just incredible they have food from all over the world but especially from all over asia uh like you you will find like everything from like incredible sushi to like incredible traditional chinese dishes you've never heard about and i mean like actual proper chinese food not the stuff that we usually get here in europe <laughs> uh, kung fu chicken and you find like proper malaysian food proper indonesian food uh western food a little bit harder to find mm. um that's like because they just don't have the ingredients to make mm-hmm. it as well like cheese is really expensive in singapore Oh, because, I can imagine. Because they have to import it in uh, from places like from like Europe, and it's very expensive. So like pizzas are really expensive there. Yeah. Uh, and usually they're not as good. Um, I would imagine well, they're, they're just not as good. So I would say like, if you're there, you're kind of resigning yourself to eating a lot of Asian, just eating Asian food. But then again, who's going to complain about that? Because the food is yeah just yeah. incredible, and there's like an sure. endless supply, like endless supply of new dishes to try out. That's awesome. And how was it for you to actually be a teacher? And like, what kind of children did you teach? Like, what age group were they in? I was a bit of an unconventional teacher. I taught in a tuition center rather than a proper school. So basically what you do is like, you still teach normal lessons. It's just that kids will have a full day of school and then they'll come into your lesson and you'll teach them an hour and a half lesson of English. So you're teaching them a normal lesson, but you're not like a school teacher. I would say at the beginning, it was a bit strange uh, to be a teacher because I never imagined myself to be a teacher. <laughs> so even though I went through all this process of like training, uh, I spent like, you know, three months training to do this. When I went in for my first day and I actually w- got confronted by like a classroom full of kids, I was a bit like, <laughs> uh, 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 okay. but after like a week, it's completely fine. It's really enjoyable. The kids are lovely. I was teaching kids from three to 12 years oh, old wow. that's uh, a wide range yeah it's a really big range <laughs> and it, it can it can literally be like you have an hour and a half lesson with 12 year olds here you have five minutes and then you have an hour and a half lesson with three year olds and you have to kind of jump between the two wow. uh, like the different skills and stuff but the children in singapore are lovely for the most part i yeah, had a I couple of kids who were a bit they misbehaved here and there but 
generally they they show a lot of i think the the cult their culture is in in singaporean culture teachers are held up in very high regard and they mm. should be shown respect at all times and the yeah. parents will show a lot of respect and they teach the, their children to show teachers a lot of respect that's amazing so for example you like a child should never call you for example sir or ma'am they have to call you teacher so like, to me they had to call me teacher pedro <laughs> always oh teacher wow pedro, because teach, teachers a level of it's a level above sir in respect oh that's interesting so, so the parents will call you teacher as well really stuff yeah, yeah. yeah. and they, they literally will tell you like it when you're when you when i first arrived it was like if a child calls you anything except teacher tell them off for doing it mm. wow. because that, they're not showing you the respect you deserve mad and That's uh interesting. like the point of respect is like they have a teacher's day every every year where the kids bring in gifts for you to show their appreciation for the, like the work you've oh done. Oh my god! And they bring like cards that like say thank That's you. That's cute. And it's really nice, and yeah, the kids really want to learn because they have a very much like work-centered culture in Singapore. They they really live to work because for, it's such a small country. There's a lot of competition yeah. for everything, and that competition starts when they are like we had we had parents bring in two-year-old children trying to put them in classes. And it was oh like, my gosh! Wow. And yeah, and I had th some of my three-year-olds were just like, "Well, I have English now, and then I have piano after, and then I'll have maths, and then I have judo." Oh my gosh! And they do like what? classes all out. Like they leave out, they leave their house at like seven in the morning and arrive at like eight in the evening every day. Wow! Like throughout the entire week, and they're doing because it's so competitive. They have exams wow. when they're twelve. They have exams in school that could literally, if they fail, could ruin their entire life in terms oh of studying. Oh my god! Because it means like uh, it will, those grades will stay with them, and it shows like because th those grades will mean if they can go to the a good school or not after. That must put a lot of pressure on them. It does, yeah. But the thing is, like, since they're it's done since they're very young, they're mm. used to it. And they're mm. very studious and stuff and it's kind of like some parents just don't, don't really mind yeah they're fine with their kids being a bit more like laid back yeah other parents are very strict very very mm. strict wow. but because I... because of that culture of respect and stuff it makes it very a very easy place to mm. teach so what very easy oh, place okay. to fit in what so what did they think of your because obviously you being a traveler yourself and going there what were their thoughts on that in singapore well i would say <laughs> People were quite, um, uh, we didn't really talk about the traveling so much. People were just very, like the kids especially were just, they did find it interesting because they really want to find out about you. They wanted to tell them uh, everything about them because they don't really know much about like places outside of Singapore and outside of yeah. you know, or China where they might go visit family or something. Um, so they're really, they are really interested as children are. But if you explain them to them, like, oh, I went traveling for six months, or I went traveling for the here, here, and here, they'll be like, oh, that's cool. Like, but they don't really understand the concept of it yeah. that much. Uh, what they were very interested about is like, they run to know where I was from. Uh, a lot of them think London is a country. And <laughs> it's cute. They was like, oh, you come from the country of London. And I was like, no, no, I lived in London. It's a city. And you try to explain these things to them, and they, they get very surprised and they get very interested. I used to like do. What I used to do in my classes was like if the kids did really well, because we had like a structured class where we had a set amount of things we had to do. So if the kids finished early and we, I couldn't let them go early, 
what we could do is like I could teach them something else. So I'll teach them a little bit about geography, a little bit about history here and That's there. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So I could draw like a map of Europe and be like, here's London, and it's part of this <laughs> whole country, and like all this stuff. And they found that really interesting. They loved it. And then I, I did tell some of the older ones about like, oh, I've traveled around all these countries and Asia and stuff like that. And it was like, oh, I've been on holiday to this one as well. That's really cool. And they find it cool, but mm. I think they don't they don't get the idea of. Because I think it's not something they do a lot. Yeah. In, yeah. Like their parents wouldn't have done it and stuff like that. So they don't really, because they, they're always so busy. Yeah, of course. Uh, they don't really get the idea of taking like an extremely long uh, holiday to go off and, I don't know, uh, mm. sit in the beach in Cambodia for yeah. <laughs> a week. It's like a, a midlife <laughs> retirement. Really no, they do, uh, their holidays tend to be like Chinese New Year. Uh, they might have a week, mm. they have a week off for that and, they'll go back to China to visit grandparents mm. or family mm. and to celebrate Chinese New Year, which is the most important holiday of the year for them. Uh, but they won't be like, I'm going to just, I don't know, quit work and go off to mm. party to in the, the jungles of Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> or, or in a random Soviet, abandoned Soviet base in <laughs> So have you got any thoughts about where you'd like to go next? What's your next point of call or the next thing you'd like to do? If any. Uh, it's a bit hard. There's a lot of places I want to go to. Uh, I'd definitely say uh, I want to go to Japan, I think, first, because I was meant to have gone there last year. It's a place I always wanted to visit, and I was meant to have gone last year, but I had to cancel because of the pandemic. Makes sense. So it's kind of like stuck in my mind that i i was so close to going and i couldn't go so i think that that's gonna have to be the first place that i go for once we're allowed again yeah of course which for japan you're to go as a teacher sorry yeah i probably wouldn't go as a teacher yeah uh it's a bit uh because i've kind of like you know uh because of a few reasons i ended up leaving singapore and now that i'm back here i'm going to go back into archaeology for a bit and then oh, nice. so, so maybe i will go one day as a teacher but at the moment no like i know that there are like a lot of people who are really interested in becoming a teacher abroad as well like an english teacher or so yeah and is it like hard to do the toll certificate and do you need to redo it after a certain amount of years or is it like forever now um it's not at all hard uh i have to admit i'm not sure about if you have to redo it i've never Mm. heard anything about it uh so i'm assuming no but i'm guessing that if you you know, if you don't use it for five, ten years, then the company might have its reservations yeah. about hiring. Yeah. Uh, so you might have to do maybe not the full course again, but maybe do some refresher lessons just to kind of like, just so you can tell the company that you're applying for, just just say, well, you know, I haven't done it in a long time, but I've kind of like done these extra lessons to kind of remind myself and everything. Mm-hmm. And that should be fine. In terms of the course, the course is easy. Uh, so I did the 120 hours uh, which includes uh, teaching in a classroom, teaching online, uh, teaching through the phone, which is not done so much anymore. But the online, the online and the in-class ones are the main ones. They're very easy. Uh, it's mostly just you just do an online course really, and then you do a weekend co- like a weekend in classroom teaching mm. once it's available again, uh, where you just go and you sit with an instructor in a classroom with a few other people, and he kind of goes through. Uh, ways that you can manage the classroom like what types of like for example like examples of like games you can bring into like uh 
take control of the classroom from a rowdy class and those kind of things. And also he is assessing how you, uh, your ability to stand in front of people you don't know, be it children or adults, because as with the TEFL, you can teach any age. You could be teaching adults in, there's jobs where you can go teach, um, you can work for a corporation in um, Saudi Arabia and teach their workers how to speak English so that they can they can conduct business abroad. That's, That's amazing. Interesting. Yeah, those are usually the ones also that pay a lot of money. I imagine. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine. If you, if you want to earn a lot of money as a teacher, those are usually the ones that uh, that pay the best money. Uh, but yeah, so that I would, I would say is probably the most um, thing that can make you a bit more nervous is that classroom weekend. But from my experience, they made it extremely comfortable. And mm. like you, you're in a room with one instructor and like 20 other people. They're all in the same same boat as you. They all want to like, they're also learning. Um, so just kind of like, don't be afraid, just get stuck in. Uh, mm. Like the worst, like, there's nothing bad is going to happen. Like no one's going to take mock you or anything because the person next to you that you think, oh, they're going to laugh at me for, if I do something dumb, they're going to have to do the exact same thing five minutes after you. That's very so, true. Like, are you going to laugh at them? No. You're, if you think you're not going to laugh at them, they're not going to laugh at you either because they know they're going to have to do it as well. And it's nerve. It's like quite nerve wracking for everyone. Mm. But you're all in the same, in the same, uh, the same boat. You're all there to learn. You all want to make fun. And when I did my classroom, everyone was that opinion. So we all ended up uh, having a lot of fun with it. Just kind of acting a bit crazy and stuff. <laughs> and because sometimes they'll literally ask you to act as the children in the classroom. No kind of just. Yeah, so I was always the I did a, a, a few where I was just the the annoying child who kept on like asking. Oh my god, that is so cool! Jeff, one hundred percent got that job as well. And, yeah, and then someone else did it to me, and uh, <laughs> I thought like that's great because I now had to figure out how to deal with that person, and it's it was really useful, you know. And we all actually at the end we all stayed friends. Uh, I still have oh, the contact, of, and I stay in contact with most of them. That's uh, awesome. A few of them are teaching abroad now. Uh, some of them quite a, because of the pandemic, they kind of took a break and they quit out of it. Mm. Understandable. Uh, but uh, most of them are teaching. A couple of them are in, uh, I know one that's in Japan. Uh, one of them is in, uh, one of them's in Russia. Wow. One of them, wow. two of them are in, two of them are in the Ukraine. The Ukraine has quite a few jobs for this as well. Uh, one of the girls is in France because she, she spoke French already as well. So it's quite easy for her. Yeah. If you just kind of spread around. So. Kind of opens you. It opens the door to kind of go anywhere in the yeah, world. Exactly. As well. Yeah, exactly. That's really cool. Um, I need, yeah, I need, I need to look into it more because I think it's a great thing to do while you travel, um, and to do all the online things. Yeah, absolutely. There is a yeah. If you want to just teach online, it's a great way to mm -hmm. kind of live that um, the nomad life, the digital nomad. Just teach lessons online there's a there's a big market for it in china yeah. now yeah i heard about a teacher as well of china he um first worked in a school and then he just recorded his lesson and put it online and i think he makes like two million dollars or something like that a, a year because yeah. you can actually sell the courses so like online is the future yeah. like you can sell so many things online and yeah Kidneys. it's just the way to go yeah, absolutely. It's who it's wants your easy, kidneys? It's quite an easy no thing to get into, and if you're, you know, you have to have a little bit of a passion for it, but because you know, you will be doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, there's that's only so, so many true. things to go through. You know, there's only so many things to go through in the English language before you start repeating the same thing again. But you know, 
with the teacher, it gives you like quite a lot of, while at the same time you have like that, um, you're kind of stuck to that, that amount of stuff. Mm. You also have a lot of freedom to kind of figure out how you're going to teach it. You know, you can like, what I did in my class, I did a lot of uh, like random games with the younger children, or I might like, like kind of make things into stories stuff like that to kind of like make it a bit more interesting it, and uh, the kids kind of you kind of want to get the kids involved so they get really excited mm-hmm. about it because they don't like sitting like as much as you know they don't like sitting in a classroom where they're just sitting there staring at you and you're just yeah like, yeah repeating something but if you get them involved they get really excited and they take you know they liked it learning yeah i mean at the end of the day they're all children either. right and they want to experience the thing in a fun way that's how yeah. you learn past yeah exactly it must also be, it's kind of like it makes it less boring for you yeah well. exactly i was saying it must also be amazing as well that you get to watch like the progression of these kids so like and like pick up everything that you've taught them over like a year yeah so for us with and uh, my center kids got they, they didn't really progress so much uh, by year until they were a bit later until they were older, um, if they were the youngest, they it was all due to it was all down to have they mastered X criteria that we need for them to progress to the next course. So when you're teaching a kid who's just joined and then they get to that point where it's like, yes, he can be promoted to the next level, you feel really proud. You're just like, yeah, I've done it. Like he's done it, I've done it. Like we've all done it. And then you like sign off for them to get promoted and they go into the new class. And you might be teaching that exact same class because usually the parents in Singapore, at least the parents like for the kids to stay with the same teachers. Makes sense. Mm. So he might come into your class the week after, but be at the new level. Yeah. Uh, and be like in a new class with new kids. And it's kind of like quite exciting because it's like, it shows that you're doing a good job. Like the parents wanting like being happy to continue as well, like and not just pulling off the kid to being like, well, he's done this much, don't like don't need it anymore. Being like, well, you know, he's he's achieved this, it's really good, let's continue. And let him continue with the same teacher. It makes you feel quite good about it. And to be honest, a lot of times parents will just come up to you and tell you that they're happy about it. That's nice. Uh, like thank you for thank you for your work and stuff like that. You won't that. get that in an English school. Absolutely not. You <laughs> might get a bottle of yeah. <laughs> That's the nice. That's the nice. <laughs> so we're going to cut the episode here. But Pedro, before you go, I've got one question for you, and it's <laughs> I don't know why I've made it sound so menacing. What is the greatest archaeological site on Earth? <laughs> the greatest archaeological site on Earth. That's quite a hard one. Uh, there's a lot of good ones. Uh, you put me on the spot there because I'm I could anger a lot of people by saying the wrong one. Archaeologists are very <laughs> protective of their favourite sites. Okay. Uh, or which one would you most like to see that you haven't seen? Angkor Wat. The, uh, <laughs> no, I've seen Angkor Wat. <laughs> uh, I would love to go see the uh, Aztec and Mayan pyramids. Oh, yeah. And, uh, in Mexico. And oh. Mm. This would be quite a fun experience. Yeah. 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 Oh, there you go. Well, there you go. Come with us to Mexico. Hannah and I have decided we're going in August. Yeah, yeah come with us. be a proper nice trip. We're going to start a documentary about Mexico. Apparently. Yes. Yes. Yes, we are. Yeah. Is it going to be... Is it going to... Apparently, of course we are. Of course we're going to. Be going to. I'm not sure if we're going to survive that, but then as... <laughs> then we'll be oh, even I, more I successful. Promise, I promise I'll try not to fall out of any Mexican taxi. That would, well, I, it depends if we're recording. We might make... Yeah, good to yeah. Just for the sake of... So, 
So I make Top Gear. <laughs> so it's just them falling off the cast. Thanks so much, Pedro, for coming on. It's been amazing to have you here. And also hear these different sides to different countries and stuff that no one's ever talked about on this podcast before. Um, so thank you very much. And yeah, yeah it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, we, I think we need to ask you to come back to our podcast for another episode because I think you have a lot of stories to tell and there are probably heaps of stories to come. Thank you again for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you. you on the podcast. This is about everything for this week's episode. Thank you for listening to us. This is the Plan Y podcast. My name is Hannah. My name is Taryn. And my name is Pedro. <laughs> and we'll see you next time. We love you. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>